Similar to a well-tuned automobile, a guitar requires the same level of attention to perform at its very best. No matter how expensive your guitar may be, we will treat you and your instrument with the utmost respect. Call 920-723-1733 or visit jeffsguitar.com. Jeff's Guitar Clinic in Ford Atkinson, we love guitars. The attorneys at Jingris, Thompson & Walks have had the honor of receiving numerous awards for their work both in and outside the courtroom. But just as important as receiving accolades for being skilled attorneys, it's equally important to give back to the community in which they live and work. If you want a personal attorney that can help you in so many different areas, they've got them. They're in Eau Claire, Madison, Milwaukee, and Waukesha. They're easy to reach. GTWlawyers.com. That's GTWlawyers. Welcome to another podcast at SliceOffice.com, brought to you by our friends at the Operating Engineers. Also, our friends with Madison Teamsters, Local 695, and our friends at Madison Teachers Incorporated. Joining us now, Congressman Mark Pocan. Of course, he has represented the 2nd District of Wisconsin since 2012. Uh, as we get ready to remember 9-11, do you want to take us back to that day and what you were doing and how you uh, how you found out? You know, I was living um, in the Isthmus at the time, uh, and I remember turning the TV on and, and catching the first visual of what happened. And uh, just, you know, kind of glued to that as I was trying to get ready to go into my business at the time. And uh, it, it's just something you'll never forget. And then I grabbed the TV and took it with me as things continued to develop and went into work. And, of course, the person I worked with also brought a TV in. And, you know, it's just one of those things that you were glued to because you never thought would happen. And it was happening. And, um, yeah, I think that's the, the memory that, that sticks the most is just how everyone um, was absolutely transfixed by what was happening and shocked in horror at what was happening in our country. Well, since then, we've spent a lot of money in the military. You've been trying to trim the military back. Tell us why. Well, you know, the military spending goes completely unchecked. Um, you know, we audit every department. You make sure money's spent well. Uh, we don't do that with the Defense Department. And, you know, there's a reason why we have all the stories of the the outrageously priced toilet seats and hammers that they pay but far far worse is the outrageous amounts that we spend on these really big weapons things like uh the f-35 that quite honestly you know currently has a list of about 800 deficiencies yeah most of them relatively minor because of the number but some of them are pretty major that get a lot of attention well last year uh, they solved two of those 800 deficiencies for the F-35. They don't feel like they're accountable to anyone. Uh, that's not in the best interest of this country or the taxpayers. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I, I, to me, the definition of defense needs to be broadened because the biggest national security threat we've had in the last year and a half has been COVID-19. And I think we should put more money towards things like uh, pandemic, climate change, cyber attack. Uh, and maybe a little less uh, on some of the the defense contractors that we currently put so much money into. What about diplomacy and uh, intelligence? Uh, it, well, it's my understanding that the Trump administration just gutted the Department of State, didn't fill positions, and really left us in a very precarious situation that could affect our security. 
Well, and, and that's the alternative, right? I mean, I have a bill out there that I, I believe very, very strongly in the COVID Defense Act, which would just take a little over 1% of the defense budget, about $9.6 billion, and invest that in the efforts we're doing with COVAX on vaccines for the world. That $9.6 billion would match right now what's been uh, contributed by other countries, and, and that amount covers 30% of the people in the 91 poorest countries. So you literally could jump from 30% coverage to 60% coverage and have amazing diplomatic relations uh, by doing something like that. And again, uh, it's also in our best interest. If, if more people have vaccinations, there's less likely to be variants and we benefit, but we also benefit from doing this in a diplomatic way. China, by the way, is doing this pretty effectively, even though their vaccines aren't nearly as good. So. You know, I think we've lost a lot of those more diplomatic ways of handling things. I will tell you one thing, Sly, that I've been impressed with with the Biden administration. is He totally gets this. And when you talk to the State Department on things like the Middle East, for example, their first uh, response is that the president will quietly call people up and have conversations. And then when he needs to scale it up to a public uh, conversation, he will. But that's diplomacy, right? Not having everything on social media, but perhaps having those, those more intimate conversations. There's a lot that we could do with the State Department uh, and other departments that would build that goodwill for our country. So you learn when the United States leaves a, a military post, as they recently have in Afghanistan, that the national media uh, is really entrenched into the Pentagon and the the infrastructure of military spending, you can see it in the reporters. You can it, there is definitely a bias towards uh, the United States being on the intervention interventionist side. Uh, have you noticed that? Oh no, no question. Uh, in, in fact, between that and I think the fact that you know there's, there's a corporate relationship with many of those uh, in the military industrial complex with those big. Uh, media outlets that that absolutely stands out and you know when you look at the public opinion on afghanistan it's been overwhelmingly that we needed to get out of there i mean the mission has been a failure since it was created by dick cheney and george bush um they, they had the wrong mission a nation building in a country especially like afghanistan is never going to be easy other countries have tried it we had all kinds of warning flags and yet that's what we went ahead and did. A lot of defense contractors made a lot of money during that time. Unfortunately, a lot of Americans lost their lives, as did Afghan citizens. And uh, to watch everything crumble after 20 years in, in a week or so, uh, it was inevitable. We could have stayed five more years. We could have stayed 20 more years. Uh, it still would have happened. Uh, and I, I think that, you know, hopefully this is a lesson that hopefully people will remember uh, that we just can't go into any country and think that we're going to remake it uh, in our image. And, and we also have to question if that's our role. What's the difference between the United States keeping troops in Afghanistan and some sort of advisory role uh, between that and having troops in Germany or South Korea or other places around the world? Well, and I, I would be in a group of people that argue we should be bringing a number of other people back home. Um, so I think we have something like, and this number is probably a little dated with what just happened with Afghanistan, but something like 80,000 troops uh, that are across the globe. And, 
you know, some are in strategic places and regions where we can be helpful if we need to uh, very quickly, and I understand those. But, you know, just to have a, an existing footprint uh, like we did with Afghanistan, um, for maybe not reasons that were going to be something we're ever going to be able to do well, we have to have a serious look at those. And is that in the U.S. best interest or not? Or is this just in the best interest of continuing to perpetuate uh, people buying, uh, quite honestly, uh, weapons and, and continuing to perpetuate what we uh, have been able to do in some areas but can't do in every single area? All right. So let's say you'd been in Congress in 2001. Would you have voted with Barbara Lee? She was the only person that voted against giving the president the authority to do what he did. You know, it, it, I think it's really hard. The easy answer would be to say, oh, of course I would, right? I, I'll be honest. Uh, I, I know the enormous pressure that was on members, that I've talked to members, and I've talked to Barbara about her vote. And um, I would like to think uh, that I would have done that. Uh, certainly from where I'm standing right now and, and looking at uh, our, our Pentagon spending and our Pentagon priorities, I would like to think I have that knowledge to do it. But, I, you know, the easy answer sly would be to say, why, yes, I would have known. But I honestly, I, I, there's such pressure at the time for people, good people who also knew that it was likely a bad idea. They were told perhaps some things that weren't truthful. Uh, and I've experienced that in a few issues. Just no. Half years, you know? <laughs> By the way, I, you know, I'm trying to get to all the presidential museums. Uh, this summer I toured the George W. Bush Presidential Museum in Dallas. There is some real nice fiction there. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and, you know, I don't even blame him as much as Dick Cheney. You know, this well, is now, far more, yeah, about right. Dick Cheney This is anything. my favorite part. They obviously had a falling out as Bush kind of realized he was on the wrong course in the second term. There is no mention or picture of Dick Cheney in that library. Oh, in the museum. Wow. He's been banished. He's with Nikita Khrushchev. He's been banished. <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow. Well, I mean, for good reason. And there's a reason why I always say the Dick Cheney-George Bush uh, mission in Afghanistan, because I, I think it largely was Dick Cheney making that mission. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of folks in the Department of Defense, especially, who uh, just bluntly lied to presidents, saying things were more rosy than they were. And it was much easier to not make the hard decision that Joe Biden made. And, and as much as, you know, there's many, many, many things I think Donald Trump did awfully, he at least was right on the, the basic level of uh, we needed to leave Afghanistan. I, I think the way he did it was a, a bit inept in how he was uh, moving forward on it. But, you know, when you have presidents like that knowing it, except they're getting misinformation by people who quite honestly benefit from that misinformation, uh, that doesn't serve the American good. Well, this destroyed the presidency of Lyndon Johnson, who otherwise was a pretty good president. Matter of fact, a very good president. So yeah. it's taken down. Uh, it's taken down talented presidents. As you uh, navigate Congress, do you do you chat with uh, Liz Cheney about this stuff? <laughs> no, you know, Liz and I aren't uh, BFF. Um, oh, you're not. So I, no, I know. I know you're shocked. Sly. I, it's just it's just one of those things where. When it comes to defense spending, she and I could probably not be um, any farther apart. Uh, in fact, I probably uh, hit the circle a little bit with some of our uh, Freedom Caucus members who at least are concerned about spending in general. But, you know, when it comes the, the biggest problem we face, I think, when it comes to the, the Pentagon budget is almost
almost every single district, in fact, I would argue every single district has a footprint of jobs in their district with defense contractors. Well, that didn't happen. Uh, that didn't happen by accident. Oh, no, not at all. And even in, in the second congressional district, I'm not going to name the company, but they make a little piece that's about as big as my pinky that goes on submarines. And every year, um, I should say every year, years, they have come by to my office and wanted me to buy more submarines than the Department of Defense asked for <laughs> because they make one little piece. And, and that's the problem. So in some of these districts where the footprint is more robust, there's tremendous pressure for them to continue just putting money in and not even thinking twice. And the problem is, um, you know, I, I give Joe Biden some credit in that he increased the defense budget this time 1.7% in his proposed budget. I, I thought he was going to flat fund it. I hoped he did, but, but it turned out to be a 1.7% increase. At the same time, the other discretionary non-defense spending went up 16, 17%. So he had his priorities absolutely right. But that 1.7% increase at the time was 150% of the CDC's entire budget, just that increase. And what we've just gone through as a country uh, tells us the CDC and, and entities like that need to be more robustly funded. Uh, and perhaps uh, we should be using that definition of defense and putting some of those dollars towards things like that. How, what kind of down payment could we put on, uh, you know, national health care and Medicaid for all, if, or Medicare for all, if we had not spent as much money as we did in Iraq and Afghanistan? No question. And, and on an ongoing basis. I mean, um, I, when, when you look at what is spent and the, the lack of any serious oversight over it, um, the line we've always said is, you know, we're not going to take a dime away from those who serve this country in the military, but we can find uh, not just dimes and dollars, but, but hundreds and thousands and millions of dollars uh, in those contractors uh, where they have cost overruns, they uh, ineffectively give us product. Um, there's almost no oversight. And, and as you know, there's a revolving door among the top military brass when they retire and those companies as well. And that certainly also makes the situation more difficult. So it's tough to take it on. Um, it's sometimes a bit of a lonely fight, but it's an absolute necessary fight if we're ever going to fund the real priorities like health care and housing and other issues that I think need far more attention. Who are your best allies in this issue? Oh, Barbara Lee, without question, um, has just been uh, stunningly uh, amazing throughout her career on this. Um, people like Pramila Jayapal and actually many of my colleagues in the Progressive Caucus have been good, uh, staunch allies. And honestly, military, former military um, uh, members uh, are some of the best who look at this and see a, a serious way we have to change how we spend money on the Pentagon. So Jake Oshenklash, for example, a freshman from Massachusetts, uh, joined Barbara and I in uh, asking the president not to increase spending. Um, and we had, I think, 50 or so members join us. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting. A, a lot of those members who've seen this personally um, have an awful lot to say. Congressman Mark Pocan with us, sliceoffice.com. We'll be right back. I want to thank all the labor unions here in Dane County that help keep SliceOffice.com up and going so you keep up to date. Whether it be the Madison Firefighters, Local 311, or the Madison Teamsters, Local 695, 
or our friends at Madison Teachers Incorporated. These are some of the most active local unions who organize, 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 and constantly stand up for workers. Thank you from SlyesOffice.com. When you're looking for a new computer or need help with one you already own, call 231-8000 and Madison Computer Works will get things up and running for you. Madison Computer Works, computers that work for you. We're back with Congressman Mark Pocan here at SliceOffice.com, brought to you by our great friends at Madison Computer Works, computers that work for you, and Jeff's Guitar Clinic in Fort Atkinson. Uh, Congressman, let's talk a little bit about uh, infrastructure. Uh, you know, our friends that support this podcast, the operating engineers, Local 139, I'm sure they'd like to get out and start building some infrastructure. When are we going to start seeing... Uh, when are we going to see that first bill passed, and how is this all going to work? So they're, they're twin bills uh, as far as Congress has, at least the House has said things are going to be. So we assume um, by the end of September we should have both bills done. Now, the difficulty is a 50-50 Senate and a, I think a three-seat margin we have in the House. Uh, nothing is easy. Um, quite honestly, uh, any issue can be difficult if you have a few members and special interest in their ear. Uh, that make things more difficult. But, um, you know, they scaled that infrastructure back uh, bill back significantly from what Joe Biden wanted, but it still has a good amount of money. But the other bill has an awful lot in infrastructure as well. There's money going into rebuilding schools, uh, job centers. Uh, I, I can tell you all kinds because we're marking it up in committee uh, this week, and, and I've seen all kinds of other infrastructure dollars there in that bill as well. So we really want to have both of these happen together because they're both vital, I think, for the country. And uh, I think the intention is still to do that. But, uh, again, with our tight margins, I, I just think the end of September is going to be very uh, insane in it, it seems so, like the second bill, the messaging, has been not very good. The, people don't know what's in it. They just know it's a big amount. It's kind of known for its amount. And obviously, right. Senator Manchin is very good at repeating that amount over and over and over again. I'll remind him that he holds Robert Byrd's seat. Uh, and Robert Byrd was never afraid to bring things back to West Virginia. Uh, so I, I, I guess I'm a little confused on why people are reticent about this. Well, because Joe Manchin, as you know, can be a bit transactional at times. And there are uh, some special interests that are the funding entities for this, because Joe Biden also pays for this. This doesn't just go on debt like Donald Trump did with the tax cut for the wealthiest in this country. But this bill is big, and I completely agree with you on the messaging fly. And I've been having many conversations with um, my Ed and Labor uh, chair and staff about this. You know, this lowers costs for American families, everything from prescription drugs to daycare, paid leave, Medicare expansion. Um, into dental, vision, and hearing. It cuts taxes for people with the child tax credit where uh, uh, you know, something like 88% of children are going to be receiving this money and it lifts half of the kids out of poverty because of it. It creates millions of jobs while tackling the climate crisis. So we're kind of getting a twofer with the dollars we're investing. And it's paid for by the wealthiest in corporations that quite honestly don't pay their fair share. They often hide their money overseas. That's the problem right there, Sly. It has something uh, to do with it. Yeah, it, it's because those entities are going to pay for it. Some of my colleagues who, you know, like bottles of wine that don't have uh, a price tag on them, like you and I probably buy if we buy a bottle of wine, um, you know, that is, is the problem. And I think uh, they're busy fighting for some of the special interests rather than 
uh, their actual. Well, have you been invited on Senator Manchin's houseboat? <laughs> no, I have not. I have not. I that just, seems to be where all the that seems to be where all the action is. I mean, not not the kind of action we saw on the Minnesota Vikings houseboat, but that's a different story. Right, right. No, I, this is, you know, it, it's the difficulty in the Senate. Um, they're going to have to deal with this. But if they want to have what they cared about was saying they had a bipartisan bill, even though it's scaled back and doesn't do as much as Joe Biden wanted to do. They've got that. If they get that passed as they do something that's also going to, in addition to helping more jobs and infrastructure, because there, there are more dollars in that second bill in many areas that are going to be very substantial. It also will help people in all kinds of other areas. And, you know, we recently had uh, the administrator for the SBA in Madison. We had a bunch of business types there. And even Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce is doing a project with uh, Madison Chamber and other chambers. And, you know, when everyone who all this rhetoric about the reason we can't find people to work is because they're getting that $300 extra in unemployment that's somehow making people stay home, and we all know that's bullshit. Well, what they even admitted from their own serving of members, the number one issue that they can't get people back to work, child care. And that's one of the biggest components that we're getting done uh, in this Build Back Better bill that's going to pair with the infrastructure bill. Well, we see the statistics. Cows just released, uh, you know, what deunionization of Wisconsin has done for workers. So productivity is up 40% and real wages are down, what, 17%? Hopefully I have those numbers right. You get the point, the trajectory. Uh, Americans yep. are, are very hardworking people, and yet they're not taking home the money that they should be able to take home. No, and this has been going on for decades now, right, Cy? I mean, we know that productivity is way up and people aren't, and we haven't increased the minimum wage for what now, going on a dozen years in somehow acting as if that's not unusual? You know, this is finally a point, and I haven't seen many points like this, and you know I've been doing this now for a very long time in state, local, and federal government, where we're actually going to kind of do something that is a big push for the average person. We're finally investing some of our, our tax dollars, and things that benefit us and not just going back to the wealthiest or to those special interests that, that have all the lobbyists in Washington. So if we get these two bills done largely unchanged uh, by the end of September, it truly will be, along with the rescue plan that we passed earlier this year, uh, I think one of the biggest Congresses that we will have had done decades as far as working on behalf of real people. You have been at this a long time. I remember going to Antigo with you and knocking on doors in a special election. Yes, yes. <laughs> How many years ago is that? <laughs> uh, 12. That was, no, I'm sorry, not 12. That 12? That was uh, 1998. Yeah, that was a long, <laughs> long time ago. Um, you and I were like two. Young, <laughs> yeah. Uh, your thoughts about what's going on with the Supreme Court and Texas and the bounty hunter law? You know, my God. Um, you know, I, I thought... We were fighting the Taliban in Afghanistan, right? And then you see this kind of activity kind of coming out of a state like Texas where we have, unfortunately, two national gover governors competing to be the next Trump in Florida and Texas. Uh, and you still have, of course, South Dakota and a few other governors uh, doing the same thing. And, you know, it's just insane that we would be treating the majority of the population in this country in a way that doesn't respect their own decisions over their own bodies. Um, I think we're going to act in Congress to try to do something to stop this. Having said that, you know, I'll go back to my, you know, previous point of 
to 50-50 Senate, and we have a three-seat margin in the House, and I could add the filibuster on top of it, it may be difficult to actually directly do something, but hopefully we can signal the, the real problems that are there. So you grew up in Kenosha, a very Catholic mm-hmm. community, uh, and yep. you know, you, you know, uh, you know, th- this doesn't happen in Madison as much, but you know pro-life Democrats, right? Yeah, yeah, yep. What do you think they think of this? So, you know what, there are fewer, because I think people are coming around to that there's been a real political campaign to make people, uh, you know, want to... Um, want to think that this is a different issue than it really is. And I think more people have realized this, and I think it's a lesser position. No, but, but, but you, you know what I'm talking about. They, they're not oh, right. political they're activists. Still, they're, just, yeah, they're You know, they're, they're, they're progressives, but they, you know, they, yeah. they, they believe their church's teachings. Uh, you know, I'm Catholic. But I think they also think government probably shouldn't be, like, putting bounties out on that's what I'm. That's what I'm getting right? at. That's yeah. what I'm getting yeah. at here. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I talk to people who are... Uh, against legalized abortion who are horrified by this Texas law. They think it's insane. It certainly goes against everything conservatives have preached for the last 50 years. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, um, you know, again, I, this is unfortunately between Florida and Texas, they really do be, they're, they're vying for Donald Trump's affection. And you know, as I've said many, many times, unfortunately it hasn't changed. The Republican Party is no longer a political party their cult of a personality and Donald Trump now is their leader in exile but he's still their leader and they're still trying to please him in every possible way you thought uh, North Korea had an interesting setup uh, unfortunately the modern Republican Party much looks like that you serve with these people you 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 serve with people that may be material witnesses for what happened on January 6th Oh, absolutely. I mean, in fact, that's one of the scarier aspects is uh, how quickly people like Mike Gallagher from Wisconsin, who did the right thing on January 6th and appealed on camera, on TV to the president, call off your people. You have to call off your people. Now, we know others did private calls. and That's what we're trying to get the records on to do just that. But then they all roll over and they don't even want to investigate this and they act like nothing happened because if they... They stick to what is a genuine, honest position. There'll be uh, pariahs within the, the current Republican Party. But very few stand up. Uh, you know, it, one of the things I thought that stood out the most was former Congressman Petri and former Congressman Ribble, both Republicans from Wisconsin, um, were two people that did uh, say, no, this is crazy, the president did this, it's his fault. And you've got people who don't have to still play within those primary Republican politics, willing to speak the truth, who are Republicans. It's just the rest of the, the, those current Republican officials are, are quite honestly Brady cats. Your thoughts on Congressman Kinzinger, neighboring congressional district? You know, I really appreciate that he's, I think, been very brave uh, to say a lot of what he said. Um, I know that there is a little bit in the middle of all of this is uh, he likely won't have a district um, come uh, redistricting in Illinois, so that that probably is somewhat of a factor. Uh, but he has been, I think, consistently, even previously, pretty good on talking about things about like this in a, in a pretty honest way. And, you know, I, I hope if he does lose a district, I think I'm sure he'll be uh, on CNN or MSNBC or one of these channels as a commentator for 
uh, his willingness to be pretty forthright on it. So it's kind of hard for you to reach across the aisle these days, right? Not many people to work with. So I'm, I'm a little spoiled fly compared to most members. Um, serving on appropriations, the vast majority of Republicans on appropriations are still pretty traditional Republicans where we may disagree on ideology, but they understand their job on that committee is to spend money because that's what the Appropriations Committee does. It's our job for the federal government. So I generally, my day-to-day on that committee is with very normal Republicans, um, and I get spoiled. Having said that, I also serve on Education and Labor Committee, where you have people like Madison Cawthorn, and we almost had Marjorie Trader Green. She got kicked off the committee. Did you call her Marjorie Trader Green? Oh, I meant yeah, Taylor <laughs> Green. Sorry about that slide. <laughs> yeah, I see this Cawthorn. Uh, if I were you, I'd be careful. That guy sounds like he's ready to shoot the place up. Oh, God. I, you know, I, I call Marjorie Taylor Green Q1. I call Lauren Boebert Q2 from, you know, the Sesame Street Q1, Q2 uh, movie, uh, book. And now I refer to Madison Cawthorn as Baby Q. Well, we all need to send Congressman Neguse some money. It looks like he's going to be running against her, you know, in a yeah, seat in Congress. Those, yep, those maps uh, she got put into his district. And, um, and Joe is one of the nicest, uh, most decent uh, I guarantee you moving into leadership in the future, guys, we have in the caucus. So you're right. F- finally, let me ask you about redistricting in Wisconsin. Your colleague from La Crosse is not running for re-election. Um, what's the third district going to look like? What's the second district going to look like? How is this all going to shake out? Yeah, um, I have to, the second congressional district, we have to lose 52,000 plus people. So, um, if you look at Wisconsin and the fact that we have Illinois to the south and Lake Michigan to the east and Minnesota and Iowa to the west, um, you can kind of tell where my votes or my, peop- my, my, my constituents have to go, and that's going to be the third in the first district. So I, I think, you know, the, the Republicans in the legislature are going to gerrymander a map. The governor's going to veto it. It's going to go to the courts. I don't know if it's going to be state or federal courts, but I would hope that that would give us a less gerrymandered map than we currently have. We could be hard to get much worse than what we have um, and hopefully make some districts, you know, a little more fair. Um, but the third district's always going to be, no matter how you look at it, and I've looked at it in many ways, uh, a swing district. It's going to be 52% one way or the other. And, uh, you know, I hate to see Ron go, quite honestly. Um, Ron, I think, was a, a good colleague and um, did, you know, ranking in ways and means and other things. But I also understand how awful his day-to-day life is as a candidate in a swing district. You know, I am someone who absolutely despises the use of trackers. I actually call them stalkers, people who just follow mm-hmm. everywhere, no matter where they're at. So Ron had one in Washington, no matter where he went, day or night, and he had one in, in Wisconsin. And I remember Reed Ripple told me a story she won, uh, when he had a tracker on him from the Democrats, and, and I, I think both parties should get rid of this awful practice, uh, but when they had one on uh, Reed Ribble, the person actually came into a restaurant where Reed and his wife were having dinner, sat at the next table, and just put a camera pointed at their table. That, that's not politics. That's psychopathic behavior. That at oh, some point, I think listen, we have to stop. The Republicans put a tracker on Josh Call when he was uh, thinking about running for attorney general in one of his mother's last public events that he went to. He was helping you know, lift her into the car. And there, there it is, some guy with a, a camera in his face shooting that moment. Now, what does that tell you about our politics? Awful. It's just 
absolutely awful. And, um, you know, uh, it's, it's scaring good people away, Sly. I'll tell you, um, you know, when I look at some of the folks as we try to recruit candidates, normal people don't want to live in unnormal situations like that just to run for Congress. So if they may be willing to serve their country for all the right reasons, but they don't want to have to go through that because who would want to go through that? And, you know, it ultimately is going to, we're going to pay a price if we continue that. Congressman Mark Polkan, thanks for joining us at SlyOffice.com. Absolutely, Sly. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. SlyOffice.com. Thanks a million. Bye-bye.